Hello everybody and welcome to Sound of Play.
Every Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. That's true. You know it's true. Joining me, Leon Cox, in Sound of Play, this is 111, if my maths are correct. It's uh, it's a guest. It's someone who is a listener who wanted to come on and share some tunes, which is what we've been encouraging. It's Ryan Scully. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Hello. Thank you for having me. Uh, my pleasure. Uh, yes, we've had quite a few people uh, tapping us up, tugging at our coattails in recent weeks, saying uh, this sounds like something I could do and would be fun. So, uh, yeah, well done for putting yourself forward. Um, Thank you. I've got some, yeah, some more lined up as well. So uh, it really is that simple, listeners. You just have to tell me that you're interested in coming on and then you get to play five tunes of your choosing and uh, and talk about them and yourself because uh, yeah i i know very little of ryan we've had uh, a few emails to and fro uh in the build-up to the show of course uh talking about stuff me forgetting that i'd already asked him certain questions and asking them again because i'm very busy and old and forgetful <laughs> uh and here we are so yes ryan who are you <laughs> who am i i'm not entirely sure where to start with that question um i'm uh As I say, I'm I'm just a regular listener. I've done a lot of um, writing for websites in the past, um, all of which are offline now, which has given me something of a complex because that does include my own site because I haven't bothered to update the the domain. Um, But um, yeah, I I work as a social media executive and writer for a commercial property company. So although it's not the... uh, it's not the video game related writing I wanted to do. It is the step on the ladder and uh, it does help me to get my name out. Right. So, uh, yeah, I, I just enjoy writing and gaming is easily my chosen topic in that and respect. You even you have possibly more of a DJ voice than I do as well, which is uh, it's making me. <laughs> no, I've um, I've actually done a lot of radio work um, locally. Yeah. Um, when I, I studied media production at university and my radio tutor he pretty much threatened me to get into radio. Yeah. He said, if, if I, if I didn't do that, I'd be wasting the perfect opportunity. So, mm. uh, with that encouragement, I've, um, pursued not so much a career, but here and there, I, I have done a few, uh, recordings for the local radio in my area. I can hear it in your, in your timbre. I've just started, <laughs> I just did my first ever at this is at the time of recording. It's going to be a, a couple of weeks till this show comes out, but, uh, I just did my first ever FM radio last weekend. Uh, oh, excellent. at the age of 45, obviously completely untrained as listeners will probably be aware, <laughs> uh, self-taught, shall we say, let's put it that way. Mm. Um, but yes, I did my first, uh, FM radio on, uh, it's a sta- it's a little, uh, independent station called one Brighton FM. Uh, oh, yeah. I don't know the frequency, but it'll only be relevant to a tiny percentage of our audience anyway uh yeah talking about brighton hove albion football club so uh it's nice to talk about something else other than video games as much as i could talk about video games forever as listeners will be aware <laughs> uh talking about the albion as well has been has been fun i'm back on that tomorrow so uh yeah oh brilliant exciting oh. times hoping yeah. some more opportunities will will come my way uh but i'll take some i'll take any hints and and tips you've got for me ryan <laughs> so i don't know quite how many of those i have to be honest with you but i'll do what i can just just yeah it's all in it's all in the delivery um so yes you are obviously a gamer of some standing otherwise why would you be interested in writing about video games and listening to and coming on sound of play so we've heard a track there from 20 almost 25 years ago now from 1993 and that was from the nes version of asterix there was also a super asterix it wasn't called super asterix but there was a super nintendo version of the same game or or a 
or the, the same license. I don't know if it's one of those ones where it was a slightly different game because of the, the extra oomph provided by the Super Nintendo. Uh, I'm not familiar with either uh, game. I, I grew up, obviously, with Asterix books and cartoons growing up in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Um, but these games kind of passed me by. I had a friend who was well into the Super Nintendo one, but the NES one, obviously, it was quite a late NES release. But is this your is this one of your formative games? Well, actually, no. Um, I did. Uh, growing up, I had a Master System, uh-huh. and I had the Asterix game on that, which is completely different to the yes. NES one. I remember and that while one. Well, the music. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't quite. I was very young, so I don't quite remember how well it reviewed. But I imagine it reviewed quite well because I have I have very fond memories of it. And compared mm. to the quality of a lot of other Master System games, it, it surpassed them in a in a great many ways. I think in terms of its graphical fidelity and the tightness of its controls. I just remember. It could just be nostalgia blinding me, but I do remember it being very good considering the limitations of the system. Mm. But um, the NES version, I only played about a couple of years ago. My friend Joel was expecting, well, his wife was expecting a baby. And um, we were, uh, they were just in between the baby's arrival. They were setting up the spare room, but Joel managed to convince his wife to turn it into the Nintendo room (laughs) until the baby arrived. So... Uh, we crash. sat down and went, yeah, uh, a man crash, if you will. Yes. But we sat down, um, went through a lot of his old games, and um, we just happened to, because like yourself, we had fond memories of the cartoon. We popped um, Asterix in the NES in, and it was the first, because I grew up with a Master System, it was the first NES game I ever completed well into my late 20s. And um, right. towards the end of the game, which is very easy, I, I just felt like this track had a very triumphant sort of air to it. So you've already blitzed through the majority of the game. You're coming to the end of the game itself, and this music pipes in, and it it, it just arrives at the perfect time to get you pumped up for that those final few levels <laughs> and beat the incredibly easy final boss. Oh, so. that's always nice. I, I'm never never disappointed by an overly easy final boss. And uh, yes, the track is called Rome. And uh, mm. of course, that implies that Asterix has actually uh, taken the fight to the Romans. He's actually marched into Rome, as I, as I believe he did in at least one of the books, although I, I, don't, remember, <laughs> I don't remember the plot of every single Asterix uh, uh, book. Um, obviously, Asterix responsible for the mispronounced mispronunciation of the word asterisk by, I would say, 95% of human beings at this point he has slaughtered the english language (laughs) and obelix as well people frequently mispronounce that one i guess it comes up less often uh yeah not every day you're dealing with obelisks this is but yeah um that was actually i looked it up the game was developed in spain by a team called bit managers Mm. Uh, I hadn't wasn't familiar with their work, but appropriately enough, no. it was released by uh, Infogrames, a French uh, label, of course, which I yeah. believe got swallowed up at some point by something else. I can't, IDOS, probably. I'm not sure, actually, yeah. off the top of my head. Part of me wants to say Interplay, but don't quote me on that. Okay, yeah. There, there's a lot of there's a lot of labels from the past that are now one big amalgamated uh, production company or two. Yeah. Uh, so, any other fond memories of uh, Master System games? Then, if we, we we're going to hit from something later, um, I don't believe we're going to hear from any more Master System games. Oh, we are from one the... of our from one of ah. our uh, guests. Yes, yes, uh, yeah. Our, I won't spoil that, but I did yeah. see. Yes, mm. uh, none that I'd chosen though. Um, I the fondest memory I have is probably um, the Wonder Boy game, which got a really really strong re-release recently with the uh, HD visuals and and. Uh, yeah with a wonderful soundtrack and other than that I, I don't believe any other master system game really 
hit a chord with me the way the Master System Asterix game did, but I chose the NES one because the music was better. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, we'll talk about some more of your gaming history as we go along. But as I mentioned, we have a request from the community, the rest of the community, interspersed between your picks, including from the forum, canarince.com slash forum. This is from Nick Turner, 13. Mm-hmm. I still don't know what happened to the previous 12 Nick Turners, uh, <laughs> who says I spent days playing Dune 2000 in the late 90s, and this song was to me the best of the soundtrack by some distance. I could listen to this track over and over again. In fact, I used to do exactly that. Often I would boot up the game just to listen to this track. There's something about it that I love. It's such a great underlying bass riff that is reminiscent of the industrial bands I was into at the time. The perfect music for building more infantry and preparing to attack. But watch out for the sandworms!
So that was Rise of the Harkonnen by Frank Klopaki. I'm not up on Dune lore. The Harkonnen, is that one of the names of the families or something? Can I make an embarrassing um, announcement? Is that I'm not familiar with Dune either, if I'm perfectly honest. I hope none of my friends are listening to this. (laughs) We don't have to talk Dune if neither of us is uh, familiar with it. So instead, I'll ask you, uh, are you or have you been a PC gamer talking about the, uh, the origins of that series of games? Mm. I mean, I'm kind of on and off with PC games. I mean, growing up, we'd get new computers, um, obviously, because it was becoming more and more commonplace for computers to be in the home. Right. And um, because it was normally my mother who did the purchasing decisions, the quality and build of the computer, not to mention its gaming grunts, was uh, variable. To say the least, These were so, better um, for word processing and you know that sort of thing. Yeah, those kind of machines, it, bit of internet. Pre- precisely, I mean that that was really what it was for. But of course, me being the gamer of the family, I was mm. most eager to find out what it could run, and uh, <laughs> invariably we'd get a pretty pretty good one. But I I admittedly do not touch real time strategy games. They I can't handle the responsibility of them. Okay, they, they scare me. <laughs> right, which ones have you tried? The, the classics like Command and Conquer, or have you? yeah absolutely command and conquer is the uh the one that i remember grappling with the most and when i was at university a friend of mine bought um i think red alert 3 which i enjoyed up until the base building came and then that was too much i could i could happily send bears with guns mounted on their backs to attack people that's when it that's when it had me yeah and then when the uh when the base building and the unit developing came in i um I panicked and I couldn't play the game any further. Right. Yeah. So uh, listeners will probably know, but Dune 2000 was a sort of follow up to the original Dune game, which was from some years before. And it was actually Dune 2 by Westwood, which gave birth to Command and Conquer. So there is a there is a connection here. Uh, And this one, like the Command and Conquer games, the early ones anyway, also came to PlayStation 1. I don't know whether this one incorporated playstation mouse control it probably did uh if if appropriate i did have some uh, playstation mice mouses uh mices mm. uh which was uh, which was good fun I, I may have spoken before in the dim and distant past on podcast about the enormous fun i had playing with a friend on uh with a link cable ps1 link cable playing um command and conquer red alert retaliation with two tvs facing away from each other and uh playstation mice and uh yeah kind of doing the whole pc land thing but on a on a budget uh, oh wow! So that that was yeah. Like I I struggled with Command and Conquer against the you know against the game to beat the game's built-in levels, but to play it uh, multiplayer and uh, to uh, have all the fun of tricking your opponent or you know out out thinking out strategizing or just building more tanks much faster uh, was always fun. Yeah, good times actually. Now next up's a game that I've not played. However, it has been mentioned a number of times behind the scenes at Kane and Rince. That's our other podcast listeners, if you don't know, uh, where we talk about video games from the history of video games. And we dissect them for a couple of hours. Voodoo Vince, uh, for a while, there was no way to play it on modern hardware. Uh, But that's changed as of the last three or four months when a remaster came out for a PC and uh, Xbox One. Yeah, that's right. Um, So now people can play Voodoo Vince. Um, So this is a a black magic themed character platformer. Yes, it's um, it's very peculiar. In fact, the the re-release itself was kind of peculiar because it's um, 
I don't remember it ever being particularly popular. Um, I, no. I, it certainly hasn't gone down in history the way that Banjo-Kazooie or Psychonauts has. Cult classic, maybe? Could we just I about? think so, but I think it's... I, I wish I could remember the name off the top of my head. Is it Phil Spencer, who's head of Microsoft's game division, or is that a name I've pulled out of thin air? Uh, that um, sounds right to me. It's a, it's a favourite of his, so I think, if anything, right. it was more of a project for his benefit than anybody else's, but... Um, I do remember enjoying it as a child and um, being able to play it again uh, with the new HD re-release was, it was, it was warm, you know, it was quite cozy. It was nice Ooh. to go back to it and remember why I liked it so much as a child or teenager rather. Okay. Glad to hear you're not quite that young. Uh, 2003 <laughs> was the original game. And uh, so you have fun memories of the music, which obviously uh, has a, a certain feel to it. Yeah, but the the interesting thing about the version we're going to hear is it's one of the very few major changes that happened in the update. The uh, original level that this music comes from is actually completely different um, to the music in the original game. In the original game, the the track was um, quite gentle, quite ethereal and dreamlike. Mm. um, And they've replaced it with the version that we're about to hear, which I personally think is much more in tune with the aesthetic and the... Uh, mood of Voodoo Vince and just happens to be what I consider to be a really listenable, enjoyable piece of music. So it, it seems to work better both in the game and as a piece of music than the original one did. So I, yeah, I, I quite frequently listen to this at work when I'm trying to get something done because I find it just spurs me on and on and on. There's lots of crazy different directions that the piece of music goes in. It seems like these interjections in the music come out of nowhere and it just keeps your brain ticking over in that respect.
So that was the remastered version of Earth, Water and Wood by Steve Kirk. Nothing like the original. Those of you who did play Voodoo Vince will remember. So it was uh, in the early 2000s or early mid 2000s was the original Xbox your go to machine. Then it must have been because Voodoo Vince was a platform exclusive. It was. Yes, I um it was a choice between the PS2 and the Xbox, and I'm not entirely sure what spurred it. I think at, at that time it might just have been that more of my friends had an Xbox than I did. Really? And also I really liked Splinter Cell, and my cousin showed me Splinter oh. Cell, and I think that sold me. Yeah, it was uh, it was ported to PS2, I think, wasn't it? But it wasn't... Uh, or, yeah, some of, the, some of the Splinter Cell games did uh, come to PS2, but they yeah, weren't th- quite as flash. I think the original was a timed exclusive, so a lot of the t- a lot of the people who were spurred into getting an Xbox for it later found out that that perhaps wasn't the big reveal that it turned out to be. Ah, yes. Well, we're we're back into the realm of Xbox quotes launch exclusive now, as they uh, desperately try to um, well <laughs> pretend they've got something that is uh, is is is. Uh, that's absolutely essential for you to own that will never appear anywhere else and this is not you know everyone knows who listens to Kane and Rince that I am we are platform agnostic but uh, but there has mm. been some some fun to be had with uh, Microsoft and their launch exclusive uh, uh, hyperbole <laughs> in recent yes. times it's very uh, unfortunate waiting to see how long it takes before uh, Cuphead appears in some form on PS4 under a very slightly different name for example maybe that maybe that will happen we'll see um, that said uh, the Xbox One X appears to be doing well in terms of pre-orders. We'll be another few weeks closer to it launching. Um, personally, I'm holding fire because I don't have a 4K screen yet. I do have a PS4 Pro, but that was because I needed a new PS4 because my old one was not behaving itself. Um, I now I'm finding that the thought of upgrading to an Xbox One X from my One S is not that appealing even though i know it's obviously a very powerful machine i'm not going to get the most out of it because i don't have the 4k hdr screen and i have the nice xbox one s which is a very nice looking console so i'm in that place where i need a really i need a new gaming screen before i go for a new 450 pound console how about you on this yeah i'm exactly the same Um, and like yourself i am platform agnostic it's only recently that i managed to secure a ps4 as well so i've got the xbox one s and a regular ps4 just because i don't like the idea of a game coming along and me not being able to play it if i want to uh (laughs) exactly and i agree with you entirely i mean i've got a my my monitor's 1080 um i've got no need desire or finance to have a 4k screen so the xbox one s and the regular ps4 just they do me fine and yeah. if, if people you know if people really want 4k then hey you know go ahead it's nice to have that option absolutely uh, certainly if money was no object i would already have a 4k hdr screen but we're still at a point where the technology is improving and the price is coming down so i think uh and also the jump is lovely and, and HDR, depending on which format, <laughs> that's the other thing. <laughs> Formats haven't been fully standardized yet, although I think we're getting yeah. closer from what I understand. It does look, you know, it looks gorgeous, but it's not perhaps quite the same leap as it was from standard def to, to high def back in the mid 2000s, maybe. Uh, but yes, I'm currently playing um Witcher 3 uh, on my PC with which has a recent graphics card in it and I've got everything cranked up to ultra albeit at 1080p and you can I can see from that that there is that there are potentially advantages to be had from even um, the Xbox One X at 1080 because the amount of uh, sort of graphical detail and uh, you know particle effects and lighting and all the stuff that it can do at 60 frames a second 
is massively outstripping anything that my PS4 Pro will do even. So there are, yeah, it's not completely without its temptation, but uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm in that situation. I bet this, uh, I bet this speaks to you and probably a lot of our listeners. I'm in that situation where I've got a nice, a really nice screen that's lasted me 10 years and I'm not going to replace it until it dies but I almost wouldn't mind if it died because then I would be, my hand would be forced <laughs> to, buy, <laughs> to buy a shiny new 4K HDR TV. <clears throat> yeah, That's sometimes all you need is a really good excuse. Yeah, uh, uh, and a, and a lot of card. money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So next up, we have something that uh, won't show off a 4K uh, screen in particular because it's, uh, it's something which has uh, retro 8-bit style graphics. This is a request from the forum uh, from The Green Flea who says Tower of Heaven is a game I played on PC that it's meant to look like a Game Boy game. It's about a person who finds and begins to climb a tower to get to heaven, oddly enough. As you progress, a voice begins to talk to you, setting up rules that if you disobey, you instantly die. These rules can vary from touching blocks on a certain side, only moving in a certain direction, not moving when touching the ground, etc. As you succeed, despite the ever-growing list of rules, the voice gets frustrated and the game becomes quite philosophical. Without going into it any further, it's an excellent and fun platformer which won't take a lot of time once you get the hang of it. It's well worth the time, especially given the soundtrack, done by flashy goodness. It hits all the highs and lows that the rest of the game delivers perfectly. And this is Stairway to Revelation.
that's from Tower of Heaven, and the track is by Flashy Goodness, who I believe is a single female artist. Beyond that, I know nothing. But that's from 2009. It was called Stairway to Revelation. And uh, according to uh, the Green Fleet from our forum, who selected that track, that is a game worth investigation. I may even add it to the insanely long Cane and Rinse long list, because it sounds like, yeah, something a bit different. And that's always a treat. Uh, we're with our guest, Ryan Scully, from the listenership, the community, if you will, of Cane and Rinse and Sound of Play. And uh, Ryan, as our guest, gets to pick five musical tracks for this Sound of Play, which is great because we it means we've got uh, more than just our own tedious tastes to bounce off of. Uh, actually, this is a game that I've uh, just dabbled in a little, just the start, and uh, the soundtrack did, did strike me as being something I was going to enjoy, as well as the game, I should say, Axiom Verge. Uh, I either I bought it was it a PS Plus game I can't remember I may have just bought it because uh, I think it was it's it's very much a one person project Thomas Happ um, and I always like to support those games you know it's getting good reviews and so on so this is a Metroidvania in inverted commas uh, fan of the game or a fan of the music or both absolutely both um, it's Ooh. it's been a long time since I've played an independent Metroidvania which I think um really captured what it was like to play an old nintendo metroid game yes i think um axiom verge is very overt in how much it wants to be super metroid i don't think it makes any yeah yeah which is not necessarily a a criticism at all If, if anything it was incredibly refreshing to go back and revisit that mood and that style of metroidvania with uh very familiar controls and mechanisms because up until recently, when Nintendo announced the Metroid 2 remake, it didn't look as if we were going to ever get one from them again. Yeah. So, yeah, it really did. Um, it kind of filled that gap that it felt like the Metroid series had left for so many years. Did you play the, is it AM2R, the, the fan-made Metroid remake? It's sitting on my hard drive at the moment. I um, You found I, managed to find it before. Well, oh, I actually downloaded it the day it came out oh, and then uh, yeah. was really glad that I had because when yeah. I looked up the gaming blogs the next day, of course, it had been, as far as Nintendo were concerned, completely wiped off the internet, which we all know is never the case. Yes, it's there somewhere. Uh, yeah, well, I know where I can get a copy now anyway. Um, so the guy <laughs> who wrote that has been employed by somebody, not Nintendo. So this is not like the case of um, with uh, Christian Whitehead uh, being... Mm roped in by sega to make uh, sonic cd and then sonic mania um but yeah somebody so i can't remember which studio without looking up but uh, yeah am2r person has a industry job now based off the back of that um so that would be interesting to play i think it'd be really interesting to play uh, that and then the the mercury steam official 3ds remake back to back to see mm. which uh, how yeah what 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 approach they've each taken yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic about the Mercury uh, stream one. Yeah, uh, their their output has been very mixed as far as I'm concerned. But yeah. um, from the footage I've seen of the new Metroid, it it does look pretty promising. A lot of these developers, which uh, I mean, certainly I think in the case of um, Castlevania: Lords of Shadow Two, it sounds like there were uh, circumstantial reasons why that game perhaps didn't turn out as as well as it might. Um, mm. and, uh, and there's also the, the yeah, the, the side scrolling, um, Castlevania certainly, certainly that they did certainly has its fans. Uh, but I think sometimes when these developers get, you know, properly embraced by 
Nintendo, they often, if, if the collaboration goes well and the communication is good and, and the, the, the vibe is creative, I think, you know, you, you will likely to see some of their strongest work, hopefully. Uh, as with, I suppose, Argonaut and Star Fox and Paradigm mm. and Pilot Wing 64 and things like that. Let's just not touch upon Other M. And let's not touch upon other M. Yeah, I've never played other M, so I shouldn't. I shouldn't be too critical. I know somebody on our forum played it recently and was surprised how much they enjoyed it. So maybe that time and separation has the, the game helped it. The gameplay is very good. Um, it, it's okay. it's very fast. It's very fluid. I just think um, what they did to Samus right. very much ruined the appeal of the character for a great many fans. Yeah, that certainly seems to be the case. Well, uh, Metroid is a series that we have yet to tackle on the main Kane and Rinse podcast, and certainly we intend to do that someday. Obviously, there's branches of it. There's the the original games, the remakes, of which there are now more than one, and uh, official and unofficial, and the Prime games, of course. So uh, that'll be a tall order, but it's something that I would love to do, especially now having done all the Zelda games. Metroid is uh, an obvious next step uh, to take on. So the soundtrack which is really mm. what we're here for, for uh, Axiom Verge. This track that you're going to play is inexorable. What is it particularly about this one that uh, that made you want to bring it for this show? I, I chose this because it's actually um, quite, a, quite a haunting track. It, it actually makes me made me feel quite uncomfortable the first time I heard it, but I think yeah. that that kind of spoke to how powerful it was because uh, one of the main features of the games, the idea of um, corru- uh, reality being corrupted. Mm. And you get a gun very early on called the glitch gun, which yeah. distorts reality. And in what I think is an absolutely brilliant um, stroke, it represents reality being distorted by replicating uh, the graphical glitches that you'd get on an NES cartridge. Yeah, so that's right. tile sets and sprites would yeah. flicker and look incorrect. And I thought that was fantastic. And this is the track, I think, because if you hear the voices, they're all very distorted. They've been put through all these filters that make it sound very alien and very distressing. And I, I think it kind of gets the dark sci-fi and the whole corruption element of the game very much personified within that single track. And it was it was that point that the game was just completely sealed for me.
inexorable, although it has ended uh, f- <laughs> after four minutes, 50 seconds or thereabouts. Uh, so, yeah, it's from a couple of years ago now, 2015. Axiom Verge, it's the sort of game that might be sitting on a hard drive for one of the many, many machines that it came out for. So give it a play if you enjoyed that track. You might get something out of it. Uh, so, uh, neatly enough, the next track that I picked is from an actual Metroid game. Uh, Metroid Prime, anyway, Metroid Prime 3 Corruption, uh, which is perhaps the one that gets the least conversation around it. It was from that strange time when the Wii was ubiquitous everywhere, but what you would call enthusiast or hardcore gamers were often a little bit sniffy about actually playing games for it, which has <laughs> always struck me as being completely bizarre. Uh, I played Metroid Prime 3 the day from the day it came out nonstop until I finished it and uh, had, a, had a great time. Uh, I played it considerably more than I played the previous game in the series, which I found quite off-putting. Someday I'll go back to it for the podcast, probably. Uh, so this was requested by KSub01000 from the forum. Uh, so did you get with the Metroid Prime series? Obviously, you're a fan of Metroidvanias. We heard about Axiom Verge, but uh, have you gone 3D with it? Yeah, in in fact, I consider Metroid Prime to be the best game ever made. I know that's a very bold statement to make, and it it is very much a personal choice. But um, if I look at it and analyze it the way that I do the games that I write about or the games that interest me, I I look at it and I think this is as close to perfection as a game's ever gotten for me. Um, It's a phenomenal series. I love that first one so much. Uh, mm. The well, the, the as I say, the second one I dabbled with, and ultimately it put me off. I'm still, I still have the trilogy version for the Wii. Um, yeah. on my Wii U, so I, I will play that at some point. I'm still, I guess, I'm still hankering after an HD version of the Metroid Prime trilogy, maybe for Switch now. Yep. But the the only shame about that would be that it would then lose. Possibly, you know, in terms of Wii controls, perhaps the Wii's finest hour, which was the implementation of Nunchuck and Wiimote uh, first-person shooter controls into the Metroid Prime games. Mm. Like, they, they justify the Wii in themselves. Not that I had any problem at all playing the original version back on uh, GameCube in the early 2000s on, on the GameCube controller, but the implementation of that Nunchuck and, and, and Remote was just just worked so well uh oh, that, yeah. that and resi 4 those were the ones that where i where i loved i loved that uh, control method so much they were um, sublime and of course later on just a few months after metroid prime 3 we got super mario galaxy which i consider to be possibly one of the greatest video games ever made uh so it was an amazing time for uh for we uh if you could look past you know the shovelware and the uh, <laughs> the, the the fact that you know people who weren't uh, cool gamers liked stuff on it. It was uh, it was a good time, but um, it was all in standard def, and I think that that uh, did for it in the eyes of some gamers who had already become their eyes had become accustomed to the 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 sharper look of the of the high def machines. Uh, but yes, this track is the title theme. Um, so I I've played before on here many 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 moons ago the title screen from the original Metroid Prime, which I just think is amazing. But I kind of forgotten this one, but actually it is really cool. In its own right, it evokes a very different atmosphere. It's the one I've played the least, if if I'm perfectly honest. I yeah. uh, when I look at what the first two Metroid Prime games did and compare it to Metroid Prime Three, I, I found it lacking in quite a few ways. Still a great game with some really, you know, fantastic planet design on, yeah. but it just didn't quite capture the magic that the first two Metroid Prime games did for me. Oh, okay. 
Uh, well, that's interesting because uh, I know, yeah, some people, myself included, struggled more with the second one with some some issues that that it had as regards to uh, oh, moving yeah. around and cameras and things like that. But some some of which I know were addressed for the trilogy version. So yeah, I'm very much looking forward to going back to that. Uh, I shall play them back to back effectively at some point. Anyway, this is the title theme from the game Metroid Prime 3 Corruption, possibly Kenji Yamamoto, quite likely, but also could be uh, Minako Hamano or Masaru Tajima. Just a short one there from Metroid Prime 3 Corruption Retro Studios. Ten years ago now, can you believe it? I know we say that a lot, but uh, time does have the habit of uh, of going past in the past, you know, becoming the thing that was and frightening us all terribly. Uh, yeah, our guest here is Ryan Scully, and we have a couple more tracks from Ryan. And this next one is from a game and I think composer or composers who we've never featured on Sound of Play before. Uh, so my memory of this is as a Dreamcast game, although it did ultimately also come to PC and PlayStation 2. And there's even an iOS version. I, don't, I guess that was more recent. I, uh, given yeah, iOS I've, uh, I mean, my, my uh, introduction to it was on the Dreamcast. But when I yeah. found out the iPhone version was available, I leapt on it immediately. How does it? So this is we're talking fur fighters here. So how does it how does it work on iOS? Does it work okay? It's um, it's the lesser way to yeah. play the game, admittedly. <laughs> okay. But I, I I don't like waking up in a world where fur fighters is not available to me. So yeah. just <laughs> just for security, no, I have the Dreamcast version and the iPhone version available. This is fascinating. I don't think I've met anyone before who clearly has such a strong connection to Bizarre Creations Fur Fighters. What what is it about this game that you hold so dear? I think um what's interesting about Fur Fighters is it's very much I look at it and I look at the time it came out and it's very much a transitional game. Which is to say that um, we were moving away from uh, cute and cuddly 3D platform games and more towards um the action-oriented first-person shooter-style games, which is very much keeping in time with what I think was the largest demographic at the time. It would have been people who had grown up with the NES um, without wanting to be too sure of myself. I would I would say that they were probably mostly male, mm-hmm. and a lot of them would be moving from the platform game to the shoot 'em up. And what Fur Fighters represents to me is 
that coming-of-age period whereby you've got this game that's structured like a 3D platformer. It is a collectathon. There are challenges and levels unlock the more you collect fur fighter babies, which I suppose are the game's equivalent yeah. of Super Mario stars. Right. But um, it just puts it into a third-person shooter instead. And so, as I say, it, it feels very much at the time, I'd have been about 14, 15, as if... Uh, you're just going through that rite of passage from the right. cute and cuddly platform games you played as a child to the third-person shooters you're about to, you know, that we were about to be born into. And yet, even with that in mind, I still go back to it today and think that it stands up on its own right as just a really delightful, imaginative game. Okay, so I, I was a Dreamcast gamer, of course, because I played everything. But um, I, I... I have a vague recollection of playing a demo of this, but I don't remember buying it. And I think the reviews weren't overly spectacular. There were, I, I believe they might have been mixed. mixed. I mean, I, yeah. I know Edge gave it an eight and that was at a time yeah. when Edge were a lot sterner than they perhaps are now. Mm -hmm. And I remember, because I, I had the uh, demo as well. It came on the front of a magazine and the magazine were very keen on the game too. Um, I can see why some magazines wouldn't be too keen on it. it. It does have its issues, especially if you look at it now. There are certain aspects of the game that have aged, but I think it's very much a blinded, blinded by nostalgia thing for me in that none of the charm seems to have deteriorated over the years, and I, I still see it for the game it was and enjoy it just as much. That's cool. Uh, it makes me think of a couple of things. Uh, one is... The you were talking about the sort of transition from uh, more you know family friendly cutesy stuff to adult shooters, and that's making me think of Splatoon mm. uh, and that sort of uh, intention. But also, uh, I, I wouldn't have been uh, necessarily made this connection, but um, RJ, who's editing this show, put a uh, video on our Facebook page the other day, facebook.com slash Kane and Rinse. If you don't like us already, give us a like. Uh, it's where we do news because we don't do it on a blog because what's the point? Everyone else is doing it, but we can share other people's articles on Facebook and uh, it's nice. It's fun. Um, he shared an, uh, a video promo for a game called Biomutant which is from a Swedish developer called Experiment 101 and it's being published by THQ Nordic it's an Unreal Engine uh, game for Windows PS4 and Xbox One coming out next year at some point and the first comment under the uh, under the video is from uh, Jasek Wanzel apologies if that's a mispronunciation uh, or Jasek uh, says reminds me of Fur Fighters a bit so spiritual yeah. successor incoming watch out uh, for Biomutant might turn out to be a turkey but you know maybe <laughs> not uh, yeah so the music then um, obviously you're you're fond of uh, the the Fur Fighters the, the game the characters uh, but also the soundtrack yeah, I mean, some tracks are definitely stronger than others, but the uh, the reason I chose this track is because Fur Fighters is a very interesting way of going about the music. Um, this is Beaver Power Tweak Mix, yeah. and Tweak is one of the characters in Fur Fighters. He's a little baby dragon who can only say Tweak, and he's adorable. Um, but whenever you switch characters in Fur Fighters, the music of the level changes, which is good because... The music does loop, and you are in these levels for hours at a time if you're going for a full completion, so it can get repetitive. But because the Fur Fighters are all from different uh, regions of the world, uh, Tweak being from Wales, every time you change into that Fur Fighter and the music changes, it changes to reflect the area of the world that they're from. So you've got Rufus the Hound, 
who is often <laughs> accompanied by bagpipes and uh, typical Scottish music. There's um, Bungalow the Kangaroo, who gets didgeridoos, and in this particular level that we're about to hear, he gets a blatantly lifted cover of Waltzing Matilda. I almost chose that one, but I thought that would be a little bit too familiar. And the reason I chose this particular level is not only because I love the way that it's fitted these um, Gregorian-style chants in to go with the Welsh theme, but also if you listen very closely, it's done something I really love with uh, music and game music in particular which is to fit sound effects in with the percussion of the music yeah uh, the level takes place uh, within a dam that's being run by beavers and of course the fur fighters are anthropomorphized so they've got hard hats and spanners and they're all walking around building this huge industrial dam and uh, within the music you can hear the sound of drills whirring in the background or pneumatic drills pounding against concrete and it's just the little touches like that that really added to the stages of fur fighters for me and a part of what made it such a fun and just enjoyable game So that is the tweak mix of Beaver Power by Nick Wiswell and or Sam Hall, possibly a collaboration, not familiar. 
Um, strikes me that uh, as that game was by a now defunct developer and published by a now defunct publisher, either the IP is completely free and available or somebody's got it. <laughs> well, when Bizarre folded, um, yeah. one of the developers went up to the head and bought the rights to Fur Fighters for one pound. Right. Okay. Is that how the iOS version happened? <laughs> That's that exactly after? how. Um, I think, um, I can't quite remember the name of the company. I think it's Muffin Games, but they've still okay. got a website. And I think they're a, they're a smaller part of a larger company made up of old Bizarre employees. I unfortunately can't remember the name off the top of my head, but I, right. I, I loved that story, just buying his game back for a single pound and then going on to hopefully make more than that from the iPhone sales. Well, we could yet see the uh, sort of Toys to Life Fur Fighters uh, remake with a, a range of figures and plushies and who knows what might happen with the Fur Fighters IP. Probably not. Maybe a cartoon uh, show. Yeah, CG, <laughs> CG animation movie. Um, and is I assume that then, the, as, as we know, he's a gamer, is the, the comedian known as Rufus Hound? Is that where he got his name from? I cannot confirm that, I'm afraid. His real name is Robert Simpson. So it seems, given that we know he's done a lot of stuff in and around games, it seems to make sense that he may have got his, oh. uh, his name from Fur Fighters. But, uh, yeah. Maybe I'd like I'll, to think so. Yeah, I, I want to think so, too. I'll try to get him on here and, uh, and confirm that. <laughs> so penultimate track time. Uh, this last one from the forum for this sound of play. This is from our friend Follow My Ruin. com slash forum. Sign up if you haven't already. Uh, now, he says here's 25 seconds of audio, but actually we're going to hear it a few loops round. Uh, here's 25 seconds of audio, which has a Pavlovian response to me that makes me immediately recoil. So I'm not sure why he requested it. But <laughs> like most people who own a Master System 2, this abomination was built in. It will remain in my memory one of the least pleasant and most difficult experiences. 25 or so years later, I have yet to complete it. Uh, yes, you'll probably already know if you didn't already, Master System 2 owners, this must be from Alex Kidd in Miracle World. And this is the main theme.
So a few loops of that. If any of you are still here, that's by uh, Tokihiko Uabo from, yeah, Alex. Alex, not the kid, Alex Kid. It's his name, not a description. I have to make this very clear on every occasion <laughs> we feature Alex Kid. Uh, also not Dizzy the Egg. Uh, Sega Master System 1986. So remember, as you've heard, please venture over to the forum, kdrince.com slash forum. Or Twitter, if you like. Follow us at Kane and Rinse, naturally. You can use the hashtag Sound of Play. That will probably help us uh, pick out any requests. You could even do requests on that Facebook page I mentioned earlier, facebook.com slash Kane and Rinse. Give us a like, give us a follow, all that stuff. Like and subscribe. You know, what's up, guys? All that stuff that you're supposed to say. Uh, it's this is like um, this is like embarrassing dad at the disco time. Uh, <laughs> you can request your favorite tracks and we'll continue to include a selection of those in the playlist for each regular sound of play. That is when we're not doing a theme show or when we have a composer on because they get to choose all the tracks, which makes perfect sense. Uh, please subscribe to this podcast sound of play if you don't already. And do leave us an iTunes review or rating if you can. We're still lacking in those compared to Kane Rinse. Uh, only about one in four uh, numbers wise. And as we've said, algorithm wise, uh, particularly on iTunes, and we know not all of you use iTunes, but uh, other platforms have their own rating systems, presumably. But uh, iTunes is uh, where we get most of our visibility. And the more reviews, uh, actual written reviews that you can give us, even if it's just, you know, one or two words uh, or just a just a rating, a star rating uh, really helps beyond just the download figures, which are which are great. Obviously, uh, that's the most important thing that people are listening. But in terms of uh, raising visibility, reviews and ratings really, really help. You can also support us via our Patreon Patreon.com slash Rinse. The minimum donation is a dollar a month, although obviously you could cancel after one month if you wanted to. But we do provide uh, about an hour or more of this uh, sound of play for you a week, plus Kane and Rinse, two hours or thereabouts a week. And uh, and it all takes many, many more hours than you hear to actually make and create. And uh, and that's time that, uh, that we can't be doing other things in. So uh, it all gets plowed back in, effectively, into making more podcasts. And in fact, uh, we are aiming... To to make even more podcasts if we hit $3,000 a month on our Patreon by the end of November, mid-November. Uh, we will actually make more Cane and Rinse podcasts in the future. So please consider that, patreon.com slash Cane and Rinse, a dollar a month or more, and we'll love you big time. So before we hear about the final track from Ryan, our guest, Ryan Scully, uh, thanks for joining me. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you. It's been great. Uh, now, you said that everything you've ever done has been deleted and eradicated from the internet. Um, is there, <laughs> is there anywhere that uh, you've made that sound like, incredibly drastic? Yeah. Like, um, like, you know, revisionist history or, or something, <laughs> uh, you, you must be denied as, as an entity. Uh, no, but is there, are there things out there, social media or whatever else, anything you want to plug or charity work, you know, whatever. No, there are. I mean, um, although some of the websites that I wrote for years ago have uh, ceased now, uh, my website does actually compile some of the best reviews that I've done over the years and also chronicles how my writing has gone from relatively terrible to a lot less terrible. Um, it's currently not got a .com address like it used to, but if people follow me at Scully underscore R on Twitter, there is a link to the website, um, which does have a very long address. It's much easier if you just use the Twitter to, to get there than it is for me to read it out. And I also do regularly tweet any of the new reviews or written pieces that I've done. So if you're interested in any of that, then 
the best way to do it is to follow me on Twitter. Great. We're always looking for contributors to our blog. Just saying, Ryan. Oh well, I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to hold out. Yeah. Got any help got out? Any spare. So. Got any spare uh, spare energies? Um, yeah. Yeah. We'll look into that. So now, uh, your last piece is also from the Dreamcast era. So you're obviously uh, fond of that. Yeah. Much very, very Sega fond. machine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is a game that did ultimately come to PS2 as well when Sega uh, jumped out of the hardware market, famously, uh, in the early 2000s with Dreamcast uh, not having been a runaway success uh, in commercial terms, but obviously in the hearts and minds of gamers still uh, a dearly dearly loved machine but this is from the amuse developed headhunter uh, and yeah a familiar composer to us richard jakes uh so was this a game was this like was this your this is better than metal gear solid game or was it just you liked you thought it was cool <laughs> i think it would be very bold to say that headhunter was better than metal gear solid <laughs> But it's the sort I, of thing Dreamcast magazines used to say back in uh, back in two thousand and one. <laughs> oh, of course, and I, do you know what? I remember reading the previews and the hype, and that is exactly what the majority of them were saying. And yeah. although, although it wasn't, it was it was still really good. And I, I did play it again quite recently. And yeah. like most Dreamcast games, it has aged. But there's a charm to Headhunter that just hasn't been replicated. If I mean, I think the best way to put it is like. If Call of Duty or most other action games are the Bourne films of action games, then I think Headhunter is the cheesy Pierce Brosnan 007 of action right. games. It's mm-hmm. it's People always have snappy comebacks. The heroes are never particularly downtrodden, and they've always got a snappy response and cool shades and black tank tops and drive around on ridiculous motorbikes. And yeah. something about that's just more pleasant to me. <laughs> I just really like the style of the game. And the soundtrack, uh, this is obviously uh, very much in the mould of uh, sort of classic 90s espionage soundtracks. Yeah, very much so. And I'll be perfectly honest, the reason I chose this is because I wanted to challenge myself. This uh, this may come across as uh, sacrilege, but I'm not actually a big fan of orchestral soundtracks in video games. Okay. Um, I, I like that um, particularly older games have a very distinct sound to them and they have to rely on um, some very catchy hooks. And I feel like um, although orchestral music is, you know, of course it's phenomenal, of course it's very well composed, I just feel like it sometimes detracts from some of the really original stuff that video game music can do. Hmm. So knowing that there is a lot of orchestral stuff in Sound of Play, and a lot of it is very good, of course, I I challenged myself to find the one orchestral track that really stuck out to me and really did did have what I was looking for in, in a piece of video game music. And I just kind of sat back, closed my eyes, and the first one that popped into my head was just dun 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 dun. And I, as soon as those first few notes rolled around, I, I knew it had to be Headhunter. Excellent. All right. Well, we'll close the show with this. This is Jack's theme, and uh, we will talk to you again mm. in Sound of Play 112. And uh, thanks. Yeah, thanks for joining us, Ryan. No, thank you for having me. It's been fantastic. All right, we'll play you out. Jack's theme, Richard Jakes. Until next time. And Ryan, the other Ryan. Every, all of our guests are called Ryan and our hosts. <laughs> What's that all about? All right, see you.